It's not that that video doesn't have a time and a place, and then sometimes that video will still be on the page. It's just that's not actually tailoring it for that audience. So the content has to, it has to address for that audience explicitly how your solution answers their problems. And the better you do that, the better. And then from a tactics perspective, you're looking for as many touch points as you can get. And I've got a slide on this across as many channels as you can get. But ultimately, your tactical mix needs to be able to generate engagement data, either anonymously or known. The B2B Marketing Exchange brings together B2B marketing and sales practitioners from across the country to get the latest tools and tips they need to succeed. Now, we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. I'm Claudia Tarico, And I'm Kelly Lindenow. And this is the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. As I'm sure most of you know by now, we are less than a month away from our B2B marketing exchange event in sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. And as I'm sure you could imagine, Claude and I, along with our team, are hard at work at making sure this event is absolutely perfect. Oh my God, I can't believe it's coming up. This is like insane. And we have the agenda completed, the rooms and flights are booked. And honestly, I think this is going to be our best event yet. I may be tooting my own horn here because I've been looking at this agenda for months and it's just awesome. So as we tie up some loose ends, we're throwing it back to our B2B sales and marketing exchange event. Kelly, what session do we have on deck today? So we have how to surround buyers with engaging and personalized digital experiences all queued up and ready to go. Daniel Engelbretson, founder of Kronos, walked SMX attendees through the different channels and opportunities needed for personalized digital experiences, and he specifically focused on what he believes is the highest engagement driver, one-to-one targeted messaging. Daniel covers the different channels and opportunities marketers can leverage for personalized digital experiences, and he even shared some super helpful case studies along the way. So without any further ado, let's roll that tape. All right, so you probably first thing you notice is that the title of the slides is not the same title of the session. It is the same session, I just changed the title of the slides. So um, my main goal for this presentation is to talk about a framework to be able to deploy one-to-one -one marketing, no matter how big your team is, no matter how, what your budget looks like. So I really wanted to take the time to kind of challenge some of the preconceived notions about one-to-one -one and give you some food for thought on how you might be able to build the case for one-to-one -one or better scale existing one-to-one. -one. So a little bit about me before I jump in. My name is Daniel. Uh, I am an AB, ABM practitioner by trade. I had several jobs uh, building and scaling demand gen, uh, both at Fortune 500s and at some startups along the way. And, and like she just said, in 2019, I quit my job. Well, actually, it was, it was a case that a lot of people are going through right now. The, the, the startup I worked for uh, was trying to close around. They were laying a bunch of people off. So I, I left and I started a company. So, uh, so that's what I do now. I help people build and scale ABM programs. Uh, a little bit about me personally. I love my kids and my wife. That's us traveling up there. Uh, over, the, over the pandemic, I picked up a new hobby of producing music. So the bars reference is not the alcohol kind. It's the music kind. And I like to race cars. I got an event at Virginia International Raceway in a couple weeks. So that's me. What to expect from this session? I'm going to probably move a little fast. Um, I tend to do that a lot. So there's a lot of content to get through. But I also really try to focus on being practical. I really like for you to be able to take away like actionable stuff that you can actually use. So to that end, there's QR codes here. And there's some throughout that you can hit. Or you can hit me on LinkedIn. 
If you see an example or a template or, or, or a video in here or anything that you want, I'm more than happy to give it to you. Um, you can just, just hit me up and I'll give it to you. So um, moving from there, um, sometimes as, as an agency guy um, trying to connect the dot to somebody who works at a company and actually runs marketing, um, there's a little bit of a disconnect. So I thought I would just give a little bit of perspective on where my perspective has come from. And so in the last uh, couple of years, as uh, she mentioned, we've done about 50 programs and it's pretty good spread. You know, we've got some teams that don't have a team, some teams that have hundreds of marketers on the team. And even in my professional life, I've worked at large companies where there's over 100 marketers on the team and I've worked at startups where you know, I was literally the only marketer on the team. So, so I think this applies across, across a lot of different scenarios. I mean, different pieces will apply more or less, but I, I did try to focus on, you know, can, can this apply and where can this apply? So before we even get into it, I wanted to talk about what's at the heart of ABM. And ABM is one of those things that you can Google and you're gonna get five different definitions and somebody calls it ABX and somebody calls it something else. And really what, what my opinion of it is, is first and foremost, you are trying to understand the problem that your company exists to solve. And you might say, well, why, why don't you start with the buyer? And that's because most of us as marketers or salespeople, we walk into a situation where we don't get to decide the product that we're selling, it's, it's handed to us. And so if, if you haven't decided what the product is and you're just trying to sell that product or market that product, really first and foremost understanding what, what, does, that problem, what, what does that product exist to solve? And if you know that and, and how do you uniquely solve what you solve with that product, then thinking about, well, who has the problem that I can solve and how do they experience that problem? And so I think sometimes you hear it referred to as like buying groups or buying committees or something like that. There's different people involved in buying a product or different people who have experience with your product. And for this conversation, I'm thinking about the person who is actually experiencing the problem that your company exists to solve. And so from that, then you're thinking about, okay, well, it's not enough that the person has the problem. It's not enough that I can uniquely solve it in some kind of unique way. Also, not every account is a good account uh, for me to market to. Maybe it's not a good fit for a commercial reason, maybe it's a regional reason, maybe it's a competitive reason, but the, not every account is a good fit. So understanding what makes an account a good fit and, and prioritizing your segmentation is kind of step three. And then third, or fourth one here, which I think is super important uh, and very relevant, is that at the end of the day, in my opinion, what you're trying to do with your account-based marketing or your marketing in general is build and expand relationships with good fit people at good fit accounts. Obviously, we all have revenue targets and pipeline goals and stuff like that, but at the end of the day, you really are just trying to get in front of the right people and build those relationships. So if you'll buy that, if you'll buy that marketing is here to understand what problems do you solve, who has those problems, who is a good fit for those solutions, and, and how can you build those relationships, it really boils down to there's an audience out there who doesn't know you and your brand, who you want to know you and your brand. And as they become aware of you and your brand, and you can measure that engagement with your brand or your products and solutions, you're trying to build that engagement. And I like to articulate that as human to human connection. Can, can a human on your team talk to a human on, on the, the target accounts team? And that's what we're trying to do. So if you'll take that definition and let me run with it, why, why account-based marketing? Why personalize? Why one-to-one? -one? Why, why do that? Well, first and foremost, nobody really likes to be marketed to. Nobody wants to click on your ad. Nobody wants a, the pre-roll video before their YouTube. Nobody likes a Spotify commercial. People don't want to be marketed to. But, but we are all here, all of us, professionally, our jobs boil down to solving problems. And one way or another, we're solving a problem. 
So the more that you can make your messaging, your, your, your marketing materials um, answer the question of how do you solve the problems that I care about, the less it feels like I'm being spammed or marketing and the more it feels like this is information that's valuable to me. So that's a great, that's a great reason why you would run uh, account-based and we're gonna see that play out here. But third, and also very important, at the end of the day, you can't just generate pipeline. It has to be real pipeline. And what I, might, what I mean by real pipeline is that if the sales guy or gal doesn't, is not gonna work that lead, or if that, if that pipeline is not gonna help that salesperson meet their quota that quarter, it's not real to them. They're not gonna work on it because they have other things to do. So how do you solve for that? How do you make sure the programs that you're running are, are actually driving real pipe that your sales team actually wants? So account base is about aligning your value proposition with your audience needs and your sales team's priorities. So then you might say, or you might have said before, well, one-to-one is -one not for me. I can't do one-to-one, -one, or one-to-one doesn't apply in my, my scenario, or taking it to this level of personalization is just not feasible. Like I said at the beginning of the conversation, I'm hoping to uh, challenge that a little bit. So let's say that your product today is ad tech, and you target marketers who go to events uh, because they're trying to uh, target people who are at events. Well, at the most basic sense, I go to conferences, but also I go to conferences about marketing, but also I go to about marketing and attend the one-to-one -one session, but also I have very aggressive growth targets, and also I like to produce music. And so how would that change, knowing that about me, how would that change how you would market to me and what would you do with that information? And it's kind of like thinking about it in terms of your total addressable market, or running a one-to-many, or running a one-to-few, or running a one-to-one. So that's how I would just very simply articulate that here. So then the question isn't whether one-to-one -one makes sense, it's the question is how do you make your message relevant, as relevant as possible, with the resources you have? That's my opinion, that's the question you're trying to answer. So you might have a spectrum of relevancy, that's how I like to, to think about it, where you've got the one-to-many, the one-to-few, the one-to-one, but even within that, there are degrees. Okay, still showing it. There are degrees within that one-to-one. -one. So you might have a small, another spectrum in that from light to bespoke. And maybe today you're running bespoke programs right now. You've got really high-value stuff that's going out, but it's expensive or hard to deploy. Or maybe you're still trying to build the use case or the business case for even doing it in the first place. So what we're about to talk through is more on the light side of the spectrum, because what I'm trying to do is demonstrate how to get started, how to start collecting the data, what data you should start collecting to be able to build and deploy the one-to-one. -one. So a lot of teams will start by piloting a one-to-one, -one, uh, which I uh, highly recommend. Just do one or two or three and see how it goes. And what you're trying to do with that pilot is you're trying to answer these questions with data. Number one, do you have the right personas? I cannot tell you, I've, I, I've worked with a lot of teams who think they have the right persona, but they don't have the right persona. And you find that out with data. You, you thought it was the chief scientist, but it's actually the lab manager or, or whatever that might be. And so first, do you have the right personas? And you learn that from data. Second, do you have the right message uh, for, for that persona? And third, are your internal stakeholders aligned? So the audience, the right persona, that's got to be the person who actually experiences the problem in their day-to-day -day job. For the context of this conversation, the right persona is the person who experiences the problem in their day-to-day -day job. The right message, it can't just be that your value prop is a good value prop. The person who you're marketing to has got to understand that you understand their problem, and they've got to believe that you understand their problem enough that your solution might be a good fit for them. And then the stakeholders aligned, 
this, this one's obviously a very tricky one, but at the end of the day, especially one-to-one especially -one at scale, your business has to believe that winning these accounts that you're gonna go target with this one-to-one -one strategy is critical. It can't be, oh yes, it'd be nice to go target these 10 accounts. It has to be, our business will meet its goals if we win these 10 accounts, or these 100 accounts, or whatever it ends up being. So you, can't, you might not be able to get there on day one, but the data that you're trying to collect in the program should help you answer who are the accounts that I need to go win to, to be successful with my GTM. So the three most common uh, barriers to entry or, or objections that I'll, I run into with one-to-one -one are lack of alignment on who to target inter internally, just can't even decide who should we even target. Time to launch, can I get my one-to-one -one program up fast enough to even, to even do this? Uh, you know, side note, I, I, our team did a one-to-one -one program. I got in yesterday, I looked at the attendee list, we selected from the ICP and I targeted 20 accounts for the one-to-one -one program. So we did it in a day. And, uh, and then it's too expensive to deploy. Those are, those, are the three, those are the three most common things I run into. So I wanna take each one of those. Lack of alignment. So planning is everything on the alignment side. I think you can start by picking three to five accounts or maybe even just one account. And the questions you're trying to answer, and a lot of times I'm sitting down with AEs or field sellers and marketing teams, and you're asking the AE, if you could know anything, in magic, like perfect land, if you could know anything about an account before you started talking to that account, what would you wanna know? And that's where the conversation starts. And if you knew that about the account, how would that change what you're saying to the account uh, or to the people at the account? And as, and as you do that, uh, when you hear back or people start engaging and you start getting some of that data, what are you gonna do with that engagement? Like whose responsibility is it to take what action as people start engaging? So as you're, as you're trying to tackle that alignment and that planning, um, here's an example, and you might not be able to actually read it, but I'll speak, I'll speak through it. Here's an example of where that might start. I like to think of it as get 10, 5, 10, 15 questions, that's what this grid is over here, that you could ask of any account. In this case, what's up on the screen, just for context, the, the company uh, sells software that helps uh, HR teams do a better job of driving uh, HR initiatives. And so in this case, it was diversity and inclusion initiatives. So how does the account talk about diversity and inclusion? Is it DEI? Is it DNI? Is it diversity? What kind of diversity initiatives do they have? Is it, I'm trying to hire, I'm trying to get more women into leadership. I'm trying, in this case, it was a recruiting from Africa initiative. But these are questions that you could ask of any account. How do they talk about it? What initiatives do they have? What are their executives saying? What's on their website? And as you work with your sales team to say, what are those five or 10 or 15 questions that you could ask of any account? And you start, you start cataloging that information then you, start, you can start to visualize, well, how would you play that out? Well, this account talks about it as diversity and inclusion, not DEI or not D, DNI, you know, different people call it different things. And here are some of the initiatives that plug into it. And as you start to visualize that uh, for a salesperson, this is not their day job, uh, it starts to click more and you can start to get that alignment on what would we even do with this information. So here's, a, here's an actual example of one, for example, and so Dunelm is the, the target account. The, the company sells solutions to help them drive uh, energy efficiency across their portfolios. And so doing some uh, light research on the account to understand, you know what? Dunelm calls it carbon neutrality. Their goal is by 2025. They're trying to reduce uh, energy consumption by 3%. And you start piping that into your ads and your landing pages and things like that. And so, so this particular program that we launched, 20% uh, of the audience converted uh, in the first three months and 30% in the first six. So I put this up mostly to help visualize what, what this could potentially look like. 
Here's another example of how that might feed into like sales enablement or sales outreach. It's not, it's not as important what it says. It's more the, the fact that if you do that structured research, you can pump that information into something, which I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with. You can pump that into something that's more repeatable. That doesn't make it less relevant or less personal. It's just repeatable and, and more feasible to do it. Hey, marketers, you've heard us talking all about it, and now it's finally happening. The B2B Marketing Exchange is coming back to Scottsdale in 2023, and we want to see you there in person. If you're a fan of the B2B conversations we share on the B2BMX podcast, this event is literally made for you. Get a front row seat at sessions that will challenge everything you know about marketing, sales, ABM, go-to-market strategy, and so much more. Plus, you'll get a chance to mingle and network with the best of the best in B2B. As a B2B MX podcast listener, you'll get 25% off your ticket by using the code PODCAST25 at registration. Check out the show notes for more information or head to b2bmarketing.exchange to register now. So having a framework, in my opinion, the, the minimally viable uh, approach has to be, it has to be scalable. If you can't scale it, sure, it's fun, but if you can't scale it, I mean, how, how much are you going to get for one or two or three of these? And we've got, we've got programs that run 10 or 15 or 50. We've got one program, one of the guys on our team that had 500 accounts in it. Where, where I'm really just trying to demonstrate you've got to be able to keep running with this. So first of all, it has to be repeatable. Second of all, and this will make more sense as I get a little further into it, you've got, to, you've got to do it in such a way that you don't, not everyone who's touching every piece of this program understands everything about the program. It has to be done in a way, kind of assembly line, where, where people only need to know what they need to know to produce it. So that'll make more sense because I got a slide on that. And third, and super important, whatever you do, it has to be able to produce the, the data uh, to generate and measure engagement with the stuff. So I'm going to break each of these down. So enabling costs at scale. On the research side of the house, I like to focus on consistency of information. I kind of already articulated this a little bit earlier, but questions that you ask of an account in doing that research that you can ask of any account. It can't be a super bespoke set of questions that only matter to that one account because otherwise you're not going to be able to get this done. So it's got, it has to be repeatable questions that you can ask across all the, pro, all the accounts that you're trying to target. Second, from a content perspective, the content has to demonstrate that you understand their problem and how they experience it. And in my opinion, it's better to have what I like to call lo-fi content, where maybe you have a sales guy shooting a 30-second video on the screen or something like that, that actually speaks to that account and what that account cares about. Like the example we had up, you know, how do they talk about diversity and inclusion, and they've got specific Africa recruiting initiatives and things like that. It's not enough that you help them meet their HR initiatives. It's that, hey, we can help you hit that specific initiative that you have. And so if that means you have to have lower quality content, but it's more relevant, that is better than having a flashy brand video that costs you 100 grand to make and runs on your homepage. It's not that that video doesn't have a time and a place, and then sometimes that video will still be on the page. It's just that's not actually tailoring it for that audience. So the content has to, it has to address for that audience explicitly how your solution answers their problems. And the better you do that, the better. And then from a tactics perspective, you're looking for as many touch points as you can get, and I've got a slide on this across as many channels as you can get, but ultimately your tactical mix needs to be able to generate engagement data, either anonymously or, or, or known. So you need to know this account or this role or these people were engaging with my stuff in one way or another. And one point on that I'd like to make 
if you do that well, which I do have a slide uh, and just two slides on that, uh, of, of deploying lower cost tactics like display advertising or paid social or something like that before you deploy higher cost tactics, you can get better performance down funnel uh, by, by kind of ordering that in a certain order. So I don't have time to get into that, but I do have a video that walks through that whole thing uh, that is linked at the end of the presentation of how, of how to do that multi-channel, multi-touch. So here's, here's just an example, just to put some context around it. You might run some display ads, some programmatic display that, that's targeting specific roles at accounts, or maybe you're running it on social, or maybe you're just running broader display. But you're targeting, you're targeting the folks that you're after, and you've got a message. And as they're engaging with that message, seeing that message, you're dropping out emails, and you're carrying that same message through, and you're driving them to a landing page, and you're carrying that same message through. And you're putting up a chat bot that's engaging that audience with that same message, and maybe you drop, drop out a direct mail. There's nothing uh, revolutionary about this set of tactics. You probably have seen this 100 times. But what, what's important is that it carries the same message through. It gives you multiple channels, multiple touches, and you can start to learn, okay, they clicked on that, not this. They opened this, not that. They visited this page, not that page. Because as you learn from what they're clicking on and what they're engaging with, you know, oh, they care about this point of the value prop, not that point of the value prop. They care about this message, not that message. And that's going to help you better refine and iterate what you say to that account over time. So it's most important that you are able to just get that data. So as you're thinking about how might I go about launching something like this, first and foremost is defining the objectives. And a lot of times you say objective and you're like, okay, well, I've got a pipeline target or revenue target or something like that. And all programs are gonna have that. But also there's more to a marketing program. There's more value in a marketing program than just the revenue that it generates. What else do you wanna know? What do you want to have learned when you get done with this pilot? Do you want to learn that it's this segment, not that segment? It's this ICP, not that ICP? It's this, it's this persona, not that persona? What do you want to learn along the way? And make sure you have that documented. Understand the target account list that you want to get after. And sometimes, you know, sometimes it's easier to just start with whatever, whatever the, the main sales guy or gal that you're going to work with wants to start with. Because what's most important is that you're able to collect the data. I'm, I'm not necessarily advocating that. If you can get it, a real ICP and really put the homework in and really decide smartly who you should go after, you should do that. But in my opinion, it's better to start with a account and start collecting the data to make your point than to take six months to build out a target account list because you could be done doing the testing by the time you get the account list built. So then as you're doing the research on the account, going back to those questions, you're kind of coming up with what questions do I want to ask of that account and what am I going to do with that information, you can start to iterate that with your sales partners. Say, no, we can't, we can't ever find this answer. We need a different thing. Or we can never find that. We, we can use that. And as you start working through what do we want to know about those accounts and how do we want to use that information, you start to develop those initial concepts and you start putting it in front of people in a way that they can actually understand, the people on your own team. Because oftentimes, especially, especially the, the MarTech nerd that I am, I like to think people really understand all these different screens and dashboards and charts and stuff, but really they don't, and they don't really care to, to go find out. So you've got to put it into uh, something that they can see and understand. So as you're doing that, incorporating that feedback, then you can start researching the rest of the accounts. And as I kind of go through the rest of the steps, I'm not going to read them all off. Most importantly, as, as number 11, which is enablement. Now you've got, you've got the stuff, in the, uh, you've got examples, you've got alignment on what, you, what data you wanna know, you, you know how you're gonna tailor it, how is your team overall, not just your sales team, but how is your team overall gonna use that information? How are you gonna learn and tailor what you're doing moving forward, and who's gonna do what? When somebody from the account engages with this, what are you gonna do? When somebody from the account fills out this, what are you gonna do? So that sales enablement conversation is, is super, super important uh, to make sure that you are getting the data and acting on the data.
And that's a step that often gets lost uh, along the way. It can be, it can feel super obvious to, to, to a marketer that the BDR should do this thing when they see this information. But if you don't actually explicitly tell the BDR to do that or whoever it is you're working with, they may not know. So I put this up here mostly because I wanted to convey how you can start to break this up. There are definitely people in the room who would do all of these things. Uh, there are probably people in the room who would do none of these things. Uh, and there are people in the room who do pieces of these things. But my point is that for it to be scalable, you really only want to be the strategist. Everything else, you should eventually be able to farm out to somebody else. It could be an intern, it could be an offshore, it could be a fiver, it could be an upworker, it could be, it could be anybody. But if you build it in this way and you make it repeatable in this way, someone else can write that copy. Someone else can rapidly produce that page. Someone else can get that asset done. You know, and, and the process allows you to just play the strategist role and pump the other stuff out. And maybe, I'm not saying you have to do this on day one, but if you wanted to do 500 one-to-ones, you are not, you probably don't want to be the one who has to write 500 one-to-ones. So, uh, so these are the kinds of roles that would play out and how you would start to chunk that out. So I always like to talk about the pitfalls. Uh, there are three big pitfalls to, to watch out for. First is the honeymoon period. Everybody gets really excited over one-to-one. -one. You finally get the buy-in. You're going to do the one-to-one. -one, you're going to do all this really fancy stuff. It looks really cool. It is cool. But there's a honeymoon period. And after about four months, and I've seen this play out a lot, that honeymoon period starts to wane. And people are like, where are my results? And so you've got to have data. You have to have data. And so that kind of leads into point two. It's got to be measurable. So it might be super neat, but you got to know what are you going to measure and how are you going to measure it before you even start? What do you want to know? Do you want to know before we started these accounts weren't on the website, now they are on the website? Or before we started this, uh, these contacts weren't doing this, now they're doing that. Or we ran these A-B tests and we learned this message, not that message. Whatever it is that you want to learn, but I'm looking usually to learn how can I make this message more relevant? How can, how can I refine who I'm trying to target and what I'm trying to say from the data? But whatever it is, know what you're going to measure and how you're going to do it. And then expectations is the third one. It's super important to point out, really with any marketing in my opinion, it's, it's almost never going to be totally right on the first, on the first pass. And, and if you take the time to get it 100% right on the first pass, it might take you forever to get there. And so you've really got to set the expectation that you're trying to learn and you're trying to iterate and it takes time. And that might be a couple of months. It might, you know, like the one that I had up there for Dunham, uh, we had that first pilot out in three months, uh, as an example, the whole, the whole thing done end-to-end -end running and with results. So it might take a few months, but then I've got others that have taken much, much longer than that. So, so it takes time and it takes iteration and you just have to know that going into it. So as you're thinking about, well, what do I want to measure to, to understand am I being successful on this? Well, first of all, to even answer this question, this, this whole approach assumes that the accounts that you're targeting are absolutely critical to the success of your business. If the accounts you're targeting are not critical to the success of your business, this is, this is a moot point. But if, if, if these are the accounts, if winning these 10, 50, 100, 500 accounts is critical to the success of your business, then understanding your lift and awareness with those accounts as measured by engagement from those accounts is super valuable. People like to knock awareness metrics, but if these are truly the 100 accounts and you know they've been all over your website and you know they've been seeing your ads and you know this is your guy, your gal at the account and they've been engaging with your stuff, that has inherent value. And, and you want to be able to measure that. Second, relationship expansion as measured by human-to-human -human conversations. Like whether that's on email, whether it's a phone call, whether that's LinkedIn, whether however that's happening, being able to measure 
are there conversations happening between people who matter at this account and the people on my team? Uh, can you measure that? And, and so that's, that's super important. And number three is pipeline creation. But the point, the point around pipeline creation, because that's a fairly, a fairly obvious one, is more that that pipeline is real and that it's progressing. And you might say, well, why not revenue or why not win rate? Why not pipeline acceleration? And I'm not saying those things aren't right. But the, th the three most important things here are uh, with pipeline are, did it actually get created? And did the salesperson actually work the deal or not? Because if the salesperson's not working the deal, it's because that deal doesn't matter to that salesperson. So there's something wrong with, with your assumptions. So I put a slide here, here at the end because uh, maybe, maybe you guys don't have huge budgets. Maybe some of you do have huge budgets or maybe you're just like, how, how do I even get this done? These are a few tools that I really like to use. Some of them are free or freemium. Some of them are like 20 or $30 a month. But Owler is a great tool. There is a free version of it to help you build account insights for specific accounts that you're after. Unbounce is a great tool to help you rapidly produce landing pages. It's like $40 a month or something like that. Create a P is probably my favorite one up here because it will help you rapidly produce those one-to-one -one ads that we saw up on the screen and it'll do them HTML5 and video. And then Vimeo is my personal favorite on the, on the video side. If you saw that video on the top of the screen, it's a great, it's a great app for that too. So definitely check those out if you're thinking about how would you get this done. And I think that is my, oh, last slide, last slide. You might, you guys, if you've come to this event before, you may have seen me present in the past. I have been here a few times now. So if, if you like this topic or you want to dig in more on this, the one presentation, Making It Rain, is all about measuring measurement and maturity of measurement and driving KPIs. The five roadblocks is all about building and scaling ABM. And ludicrous mode is what I did last year around 10 lessons learned from launching a lot of programs. So if these types of topics or this type of content is interesting you, feel free to hit me up. Those QR codes go to recordings of those presentations uh, right now. So I think that's it. So thank you guys so much for the time. I hope you found this helpful and I'm happy to take any questions. loved how Daniel dove into the nitty gritty of digital experiences and focused specifically on the different channels marketers can leverage. That includes advertising, chat, website, email, and so much more. So with that, that's a wrap on the episode. So Kelly, what's going on next? All right. So I'm sure our listeners know the deal by now. We are available on your podcast player of choice. So make sure to subscribe today. Yeah. And there are only a couple episodes left of season seven, but don't worry. We are already thinking about and planning for season eight. So hopefully you all stick around. Next week, we have an interview coming up with a B2B MX speaker. So make sure to stay in the loop so you can get a little taste of what to expect from Arizona. And of course, make sure you join the conversation on social media. We'll be there all day. All right. Well, that's all we've got for you today. We'll see you next week.